You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hi, everyone. I am starting us off this week. Kirk and Rachel, when I say the word orchid, what image springs to mind for you? Georgia. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, understanding the origin of the Greek word, I'll just... Uh... Uh, I'll just I'll just go ahead and say testicle because that's what the word orcus means. I did not know that. I didn't wow. either. Didn't know that, huh? uh, that's that's where orchid comes from, and that's fun. It'll change how you forever look at orchids. <laughs> uh, okay, I was thinking. What I thought you were going to come back with. <laughs> I was thinking maybe you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Beautiful flower. <laughs> I was thinking like go. the lady slipper or something. Yeah, it makes that lady slipper seem real different, doesn't it? Just a little. Uh-huh. It's not like it's the state flower or anything. <laughs> yep. Oh, good. There it is. Okay. Well, <laughs> I feel like that's, that's a little bonus bonus fact for today, apparently. Most so. people, if you say orchid. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Kirk. They don't think of testicles? Jeez. <laughs> I'm way off base. I'm sorry. Yeah. Most people think of a beautiful flower, maybe purple or white. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah. Um, those elegant arching yeah. stems. Mm-hmm. Really skinny. Really yeah. particular. Yes. Difficult to take care of. Well, mm-hmm. the orchid family is actually incredibly large and diverse. There are 28,000 species of orchid. Whoa. In 763 wow. genuses. Okay. That's a lot. That is more than twice the number of bird species in the world. About four times the number of mammal species and almost as many species as there are of bony fish. Wow. Yeah. So there are lots of... They're so temperamental, which is fascinating. Yeah. They're so particular. Some of them. Yeah. Certainly are. There are many beautiful and fragrant orchids. There are small and inconspicuous orchids. And there are weird orchids. Bring on the I'm weird orchids. Tell me we're talking orchids. about the weird ones, please. Okay. Awesome. Yes. The name of the orchid that I want to talk to talk about today is the warty hammer orchid. Does it look like it has warts? <laughs> is it a hammer <laughs> on a stem? The story is so much worse with the fact I shared. <laughs> Oh no! I I don't know how, but I forgot about that. <laughs> That's so much work. Oh, oh no! Just wait, just wait. Okay. So, okay. The Latin name is Dracaea livida. It is not. It is not a lush, beautiful orchid with stunning petals. I sent you a picture. Look in your email. Oh. All right. Oh okay. All right. Oh, God. Coming up. Oh, wow. That ah. should probably be checked out by a doctor. <laughs> um, Absolutely. You know? Well, How do I begin to describe this? Well, the fun fact that you shared at the beginning of this 
really comes real hard into play here. It's a little uh, hairy. Uh huh. It's kind of purpley. And has like purple well, dark. There's like a purple base to it. Uh, that's almost like a. Um. You're you're not gonna like what it hmm. what it reminds me of. The the yeah, what, color what purple I'm... reminds me of like healing scabs. Oh, I was gonna say like a, a bruise, but yeah. yeah you know like, what it so... reminds me Bobby... of? It reminds me of uh, Kaposi's sarcoma, which is that uh, skin Ooh. cancer that AIDS patients get. Jeez. Gosh. Okay. Uh, None of these are good. No. I want to describe this to people though. There is a uh, a pouch. We'll just call it like a you know a a a, a bulb. Like a, a, on this thing that, that the it's general kinda shape. It's kind of like an oval. But the bottom, yeah, like, like an, skirt. O- an oval, um, and the little skirt, yeah, it says like a duck bill on the bottom, kind of like a little purple duck bill. I can see that. That makes it sound kind of cute, but there are little purple hairs all over it, and then there are splotches, which yes, look like some sort of little skin cancer. Yep. And as you get up toward the top, it looks like a malformed raspberry on top. <laughs> I get. Or like I can see blackberry. That. I, like there's these little. It looks like little tiny black mushrooms poking up off the top, almost. This is this is a weird one. It, oh, this you know what one. it reminds me of? Uh, it looks kind of like uh, Donald Duck's head, but like <sighs> if Donald Duck, Duck had, had some sort of horrible, horrible skin, skin cancer. cancer on his face, yeah, and it went all go. up his head, yeah. yeah. All right, Rachel, Rachel, one guess, one guess as to what continent this very strange orchid is found in. Hmm. Please be Australia. Yes. It's going to be Australia. Yay. I love how that's my thing. Where is it? Australia. It's weird. Of course, it's Australia. In dry, forbidding areas of southwestern Australia. What? Okay. It is part of a group group called the hammer orchids and all of them have some pretty weird features so what is strange about the hammer orchids they don't look like hammers and appearance well it is a well, i can kind of see the hammer i, I kind of get it Maybe. the hammer is actually due to to another feature that i'll talk about in a little bit oh okay, okay. well the, this looks like a bit like a hammerhead but okay these plants are sexual deceivers what they use chemicals and appearance to make their pollinator a male wasp think it is mating with a female of its own species when in fact it is pollinated the orchid oh that that's quite common for a lot of orchids yes oh. it is common for a lot of orchids um it is very unfortunate for the insect yeah <laughs> oh, no. yeah i mean it's little... not it's not deadly or anything but it's oh, okay <laughs> Frustrating. It takes a lot of <laughs> takes a lot of energy for a wasp to go through all of that. Yeah. Oh gosh. So it is it is a strategy used by quite a few species, mostly orchids, in various parts of the world. But there's a particular concentration of sexual deceivers in Australia, and the hammer orchids <laughs> may be the most don't, remarkable. Don't don't take that quote out of context. <laughs> what does that mean about Australia? <laughs> yeah. So the flowers are generally fairly small and look a bit insect-like if you squint at them. And they're uh, pollinated by finine wasps, which is a family of wasps. Only the males can fly. So normally they mate by locating a female, picking her up and mating in flight. So when they find one of these orchids, the orchid is producing the female mating pheromone of 
their particular wasp species, and it's a very specific smell. So it's generally one kind of wasp to one type kind of orchid. Okay. Um, so the male is drawn to it by the pheromone smell, but the flower also has to look enough like a female wasp in order to trick the male. Yeah. Sure. Wait, what do Up these close. wasps look like? <laughs> um, they're kind of dark and long. I mean, they, they look just sort of like a black wasp. Okay. Yeah. Nothing too remarkable about them uh, in terms of their appearance. But uh, so the, the male will grab the, the kind of the lip of the flower, the, the part, the warty part, and it tries to fly off with it. But the orchid is actually hinged on its stem or, or it's not a stem. It's part of the flower. Okay. But it looks like a stem. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so the movement of the wasp and its momentum actually will swing the flower on the stem, hence the hammer. Mm. And thwack him into the reproductive parts of the flower. (laughs) (laughs) Getting pollen on his back. And (laughs) then he flies off and finds another flower and tries to mate with it. (laughs) By the way, side note, um, that laugh that Rachel just did, uh, I'm going to make that my ringtone on my phone (laughs) whenever she calls. (laughs) And I'll add that in, too. (laughs) It's a nail! (laughs) The wasp is the nail. Keep going! Okay. (laughs) I will keep going. What's even weirder, biologically, is that sometimes two very different-looking orchids are pollinated by the same species of wasp. So the king spider orchid is another hammer orchid that's pollinated by the same species of wasp as the warty hammer orchid, but the two orchids look completely different. And oh, wow, they're the really king... not learning. Yeah, they're not. Um, I guess they both look enough like a wasp uh, to count. Um, well, it must show how important those pheromones are. Mm-hmm. Yes. But that really overrides the appearance somewhat. But speaking of the pheromones, the even weirder thing is that identical appearing members of one orchid species may use different wasp pollinators. So this is called a cryptic form. Apparently, they look like the same species, but they are producing different wasp pheromones. So they wow. may actually be different species. It's, right. it's still being investigated. So the, the diversity of these orchids may be much greater than you would guess just from appearance alone. Ooh, very cool that's fun so these are pretty amazing and as a bonus the wasp pollinators are parasitoids where the where the uh, mother wasp paralyzes an underground beetle larva to lay her egg on to give them a nice fresh food source like the great oh, golden digger nice callback yeah so if you haven't heard that episode you need to go back and listen now oh absolutely True horror pretty story. Sure, I'm pretty sure there's zombies involved and aliens. It's great. Mm-hmm. It was a good time. And we'll see what uh, what Kirk has for us after we come back from the break. If you're listening to this podcast, you are at least a little strange by nature, just like us. Why not make it official? We're happy to announce the launching of our Patreon program, and it's called The Society of Strange. You can join today. 
You may have noticed we've been experimenting with not having ads on the show lately, and it has been great. But while we're not doing this for the money, doing a podcast like this can get expensive. We have web hosting fees, there's audio hosting fees, equipment fees, it all really adds up. By joining the Society of Strange, you can help us sustain the show and get some perks as well. All Society of Strange members get one of our swanky new water bottle stickers, and at higher levels of support you can get secret bonus content and even our studio voicemail number. Oh yes, excellent. You can check it all out at patreon.com slash strangebynature. Welcome back. Uh, this week's story that I have for you comes to us from Russia. And of course, that means I need to pronounce a name that I'm going to be terrible at pronouncing. Yay! Uh, yeah, we'll get there. So this story is from back in 2009 and involves a young man named Artyom Sidorkin. I'm sure that's wrong, but I'm just plowing ahead here. Uh, at the time, he was reported to be 28 years old, and Mr. Sidorkin had been a relatively healthy young man when he suddenly noticed something had changed. Uh, he was experience, experiencing a bit of chest pain. And That's can not be a various, good sign. Nope. Yeah, I mean, th there can be various reasons for that. I mean, maybe you pulled a muscle or something, you know, but uh, it wasn't too bad at first, but it started to grow and become more concerned. Eventually became quite painful, and he was coughing. And again, coughing in and of itself, not necessarily a bad thing until you start coughing blood. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's never a good that's thing. That's bad. Yeah, famously bad. So uh, he did what, at that point what he should have done, which is gone to the doctor. Uh, and he talked about this acute chest pain he was having and the coughing blood. And, you know, the doctors pretty quickly zeroed in on lung cancer uh, as the cause. Which is very okay. tragic for you know for anyone, but especially for like a twenty eight year old. Yeah, uh, it's pretty young. They you know they hope they had caught it in time. Uh, Mr. Sidorkin ended up at the Udmurtian Cancer Center, uh, where they decided to do a chest X ray to confirm their suspicions. And sure enough, on the chest X ray, they could see a mass in his lungs that indicated cancer. So they scheduled an operation. Okay. The man who did the operation was Dr. Vladimir Kamashev, a deputy head surgeon at the Ermertian Cancer Center. And there's a little quote here. He said, we were 100% sure, said Kamashev. We did x-rays and found what looked exactly like a tumor. I had seen hundreds before, so we decided on surgery. So, so what, Once I, the surgery was think, underway... I don't think this is... A, I don't think I'm it's cancer. I'm going to guess this is some oh. horrifying parasite. Well, it's not what you think. Okay. Uh, it wasn't what they thought either. Apparently. Uh, once surgery was underway... They decided to biopsy the tumor to see if they needed to, like, remove a major portion of the lung or, you know, what the most prudent course of action would be. Obviously, you want to take as, as little of your lung out of your body as possible. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Uh, Kavashem here uh, speaking again. Pretty sure I've said his name different every single time. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, he said, I thought I was hallucinating. Ooh. I asked my assistant to come have a look. Come and see this. He nodded in shock. I blinked three times as I was sure I was seeing things. That's never good when they're doing an operation and they say, Right. Uh, can you look at this? Am I seeing things? Right. What they were staring at in disbelief was a young fir tree what? growing in Mr. <laughs> Sadorkin's lungs. No. What? Yeah. 
Yeah, a young fir tree, uh, about two inches long. Was growing uh, they... in his lawn. I mean, if you're gonna grow anywhere as a tree, growing in a lawn, you're gonna get all of the oxygen or the carbon dioxide you need. But <sighs> I, I suppose I suppose that. A little lacking in sunlight, less sunlight. Though. Yeah. Well, what? they believed uh, that when he would cough, the needles would pierce the capillaries, and that was a source of the blood Good. that he would then cough up. Uh, Mr. Sadorkin said it was very painful, but to be honest, I did not feel any foreign object inside me, so I'm relieved it was not cancer. How? I mean, fair. I would also oh, be relieved man. that I would not have had cancer, but I would also be like, I, I'm sorry, you had a tree growing in here. That tree, he I want to keep, did he keep the tree? Don't breathe well, in seeds. Yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of what was you know the conjecture. Maybe a, a seed, or um, something got you know inhaled into his lungs. Now this original story ran in a Russian language newspaper in April of uh, two thousand nine, and it includes an X-ray showing the seedling in his lungs, and a photo of his actual lung with this little two-inch. Uh, <laughs> long green seedling growing inside. So I take it neither of you saw this story. You in a Russian newspaper article. Well, it got picked up by it, it. It got picked up by a whole bunch of other news outlets. Is why I ask. No, uh, I just came across this this week while looking uh, for some other story ideas, and something about this story struck me as strange. Is this I mean, for real? Other other than the fact that he had a tree growing his lungs. Oh, other are there any that, red flags okay. going off for you guys? Any red flags here? Well, um, I mean, kind of a lot. Like, yeah. wouldn't How did the, tree the seed grow? figure out that would not be a good place to germinate? It doesn't right. have anything else, I suppose, that it would need to survive. You know, like sun. Sun is a really big thing for any sort of plant. Yeah. <gasps> I think mm -hmm. I know what you're going to be talking about. Well, this is something that has actually happened several times to me while researching wild stories for, the, for this uh, and part for this the show. As part of the problem is we need to verify that they're actually true. Right. I don't want to be passing on like urban legends or anything like that. Mm -hmm. This one seems pretty good. We have an x-ray showing the tree mm -hmm. in the man's lungs. We have an actual photograph of it in his lungs. And we have stories that have been republished numerous times in newspapers around the world. Is it all People, based how, off of the, that original tale, though? All based off that original story. Mm. And people who've looked at this with a more skeptical eye will note a few problems. First of all, the little seedling they show, having germinated and grown two inches long in his lung, is bright green. Mm. Mm -hmm. It should be covered yeah, now, in blood, if anything. Plants only produce chlorophyll, which gives them that green color in the presence of sunlight. And it is decidedly pitch black inside a human lung. We did talk about uh, this, yes. Yeah, if you've ever grown a plant in a situation with no light, well, I mean, they're not going to grow. Um, you know, you might get it to germinate, but it's certainly not going to have these bright, you know, green leaves that are, you know, ugh, absorbing sunlight. Uh, the lung tissue in question that they show as well doesn't look particularly like lung tissue to me. But then again, I'm not an actual surgeon, uh, so I'll leave it to surgeons to be, you know, more skeptical of that. It looked to me like a slab of meat from, you know, the, the butcher or something like that. Okay. Um, now, speaking of people who have, you know, more expertise, uh, let's talk about the x-ray. Experts who have looked at it have noticed a couple things. First of all, the plant 
that you can kind of make out on the x-ray doesn't really look to be the same size or shape as the one they show that they pulled out of the lung. The needles are a different length. There's a couple other little inconsistencies. And some uh, radiologists who they showed these um, uh, radiographs to said, um, yeah, look at this dude's shoulder. Uh, you notice how uh, it's not fully fused yet? This is a x-ray of uh, an adolescent or a child. This is not an x-ray of a 28-year-old man. Something so, is wrong here. Yeah, basically nothing adds up. You also note that this story came out in April of <laughs> 2009. Yes. Now, they don't celebrate April 1st as April Fool's Day in Russia, but they do have a tradition uh, of their own in April that's similar to April Fool's Day, mm. where uh, newspapers will often run bogus stories and attempt to fool people. And let's be honest here, Russian newspapers are not exactly known for their high caliber journalism to start with. Mm -hmm. uh, and this newspaper was essentially a tabloid. So it's very possible they could have run a story like this <laughs> on they any day of the year. Having but fun. it seems, yeah, it seems pretty clear to me this was a hoax. And it was unfortunately picked up by a lot of English speaking newspapers. And I assume perhaps even some other language speaking newspapers around the world as a true story. If you look it up, it's been um, copied to numerous websites telling fantastic stories with no attempt to try to actually figure out if this is, is true or not. Hmm. Uh, it's really a breakdown of scientific journalism where people don't stop to actually research any story before printing it. It's, it's sort of like the social media model, which is, oh, there's a story and I'm, I'm going to click share. And they essentially just reprint it exactly what was in this other newspaper, assuming like, well, they, they must have done the work. Uh, so there's not any actual like journalism going on. Uh, I've run across a few stories like this where it was either a hoax or someone more likely misinterpreted some scientific data to start with and then, then did a poor job of science journalism and then other news outlets just pick up that same story instead of actually researching it and finding out if it's legit. So can a fur seed germinate in your lungs and then grow several inches long and somehow miraculously photosynthesize in your lungs in pitch darkness? No, no, no it can't. Uh, this is this uh, my episode this time is sort of a uh, a warning to people to you know be skeptical about what you see and when it comes to stories about um, nature, uh, especially online. Nature look is amazing and bizarre and fantastic and strange, and that's part of why we did this podcast was to highlight those really bizarre things and point out that you don't need to make weird stuff up. You don't need to nope. make up trees germ germinating in people's lungs. Uh, there are weird enough stories out there already without having to make stuff up. So I hope to bring you a bunch of real stories, but once in a while, uh, it's fun to debunk a story like this <laughs> as well. That was amazing. That's a really good thing to be doing. It's very important to be really cognizant and thoughtful of the news and what stories you're reading into and making sure you're doing your research yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, and know your know your sources, or mm -hmm. not even research. I mean, it's one of my pet peeves when people use that word research too. It's like, Check you know, your... it's like, oh, I I read some articles. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I mean, it's the idea of like really look at what the actual researchers are saying. Right. And there there are a few good articles out there. Hats off to uh, the CBC. Uh, they had a really nice article debunking this online. There were some journalists who did look at this and go, you know what? Before I print this. I'm going to talk to some of the experts, and the experts are all like, ha, ha, yeah, no, no, this is, <laughs> no, that's not, yeah. that's not a thing. It's so important to so. check your sources and check the biases of the sources you're using, too. 
and just stop for a awesome. minute and think it through. See if it rings any alarms for you on your common sense. Exactly. I, I hope that the stories you brought uh, this week are all true and factual, and I'm excited to hear them after the break. Alrighty. So this week, uh, before before I get into it, uh, what was one of your favorite nature activities to do as a child? Victoria Ooh. and Kirk, what were you, what were some of your favorite activities to do? I like just running around. We had a vacant lot across the street, and we just go play games out there and do a lot of fantasy play and just making stuff up, making up games and things like that. Mm-hmm. I liked to go on hikes with my dad. Uh, I like to do some of the fantasy stuff and I always like going on walks. Um, we had a, my first home, we had this big, uh, open yard right in front of us. It was technically owned by the city, but it was a big grassy lot. And my, one of my favorite things was to chase after flying things, anything that was flying, um, butterflies, dragonflies, damselflies, you name it. Wasps. Maybe not the wasps. At that point in time, I was scared <laughs> of the wasps. All right. Um, but there's so many insects right now that are flying around. So I wanted to talk about one of my more recent favorites, uh, the dragonfly. Oh, all right. So this let's is get on- let's get on the Odonata train. Yeah, this is actually what I was about to say. They're on the insect order Odonata. Uh, Odonata, not Ordonata. Woo. Uh, so that means uh, it comes from the ancient Greek, uh, meaning tooth, beca- uh, mainly because dragonfly mandibles are tooth. I say using air quotes that no one else can mm, see. Yeah. Um, they're not really tooth. They're just kind of maybe a little jagged. Um, as of about two of, of that, as of 2010, there are a little over 3,000 species of dragonfly around the world. Uh, and if you haven't seen a dragonfly, what they look like is they, they're an insect, so they have three body parts, six legs. Uh, a dragonfly has two large multifaceted eyes that take up a majority of their head. A rather short-looking thorax, uh, which is where the legs and the wings come out. Uh, There are two pairs of transparent wings. Uh, When they are resting, the wings will lay flat like a plane uh, away from the body. Uh, Damselflies, which are a similar looking species, they fold their wings along their abdomen uh, and they have a very long abdomen. So their bodies tend to be a little bit longer. And they're generally speaking around two or three inches uh, long or uh, wingspan wise. And generally, they're and do they do they breathe fire? No. Okay, good I enough. I wish they did. That'd be cool. Maybe, maybe not. That wouldn't be. Mm. Maybe not. <laughs> I'll think about it. Uh, generally speaking, these are bright colors. They're metallic, or they have iridescence to them. Uh, is very common when it comes to dragonflies. There's a lot more in the tropics, as they need wetlands and lakes and wet places to get, go through their entire life cycle. Victoria, you talked about cicadas going through that uh, incomplete metamorphosis. 
dragonflies mm-hmm. also go through that incomplete metamorphosis. So they start their lives off in the water. They have a nymph form, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. And then they eventually emerge as this adult dragonfly. So what makes dragonflies strange? Lots of right, things. Right. Lots of things. All so, right, go for it. Um, the first one is that as an adult, uh, as an adult dragonfly, and most of the thing I'm going, most of what I'm talking about is going to be about the adult uh, dragonfly. As an adult, they have 24,000 to 30,000 Oncidia. Uh, This is a structure that has photoreceptor cells surrounded by support cells and pigment cells, uh, which is overlaid with a transparent cornea, which is a really fancy way to say this is the insect version of a lens of the eye. This is their version of an Ah. eye of sorts. Uh, This means that they have 24,000 to 30,000 lenses on their eyes and because of how big their eyes are and how big their compound eyes are it gives the dragonfly 360 degree vision (laughs) they cannot that's why they're so hard to catch amazing and not only do they have those uh two big compound eyes but they have well rachel to be fair they can they can be surprised they can if you catch them they are surprised yeah yeah (laughs) there you go uh they have three simple eyes. Uh, these simple eyes mainly detect motion and light sensitivity and shadows. Uh, so generally speaking, not only, Kirk, you mentioned that they are hard to catch. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the reasons is because they see 200 images per second. Oh, really mm-hmm. high refresh rate. They have a really high refresh rate, which for us, that's the equivalent of slow motion to us. So, yeah, if they watched a if they watch a human movie, it'd be like watching a slideshow. Exactly, we yeah. move so slow to them. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was just how old dragonflies are. So after plants emerged in the Cambrian expo- explosion, after va- vascular plants became a thing, wingless insects came about. This is about three hundred eighty million years ago, and then. It kept going and progressing and evolving. And then we had about 325 million years ago came the ancestors to the dragonfly, this proto-dragonfly. And they've not changed all that much since then. But those proto-dragonflies were 30 inches across. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so 30-inch dragonfly. You still want them to breathe fire? Uh, Maybe not that size. Especially since this is mostly due to the amount of oxygen in the atmosphere. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, There was about... It was higher. It was 31 to 35% of the atmosphere was oxygen versus now is about 21%. Yeah. So, which is what causes that size difference. That is the limiting factor for them is being able to move oxygen through their body. Yeah, if we had bigger dragonflies, that would also mean we could have bigger spiders. So just, mm. just consider that. <laughs> now that may be positive for some of you listeners. Some of you are like, nope. Nope, no, no, no. I'm out. I will say, if they were bigger, it'd be easier for me and others to identify them. Sure. Mm. Fair enough. 
Uh, sim like I said earlier, similar to cicadas, uh, dragonflies spend most of their lives as nymphs. Uh, so the eggs, they will be deposited by the dragonflies in the water. And it's about 1,500 eggs deposited in the water. And wow. they will hatch... They will hatch about like a week or so and become that little, little tiny nymph. And they will keep molting anywhere from six to 15 times before they metamorphose into an adult. Uh, this can take some time, obviously. Depending on the species, it can be two months or it can be five years. I know the green darner here in Minnesota and the blue darners, they <coughs> stay underneath the ice and they are one of those that stay underneath. Uh, I, they are one of those species that stay as a nymph in the water for five years, which is crazy because that means that they're living and eating as much anything that is smaller than than them including mm -hmm. other dragonfly nymphs or damselfly nymphs anything until they're big enough to metamorphose uh a few last things that i have to share some dragonflies they're one of the most agile most efficient flyers that are out there they can catch 95 percent of the insects that they go after, they only miss, they barely ever miss when they go decide wow. they're going after something. That is uh, unheard of in the predator world. They it's are amazing. The most efficient predator. I mean, they've been around for 325 million years. They better be. Stands to reason, yeah. Uh, but not only are they really agile and efficient flyers, they can move in all six directions, like upwards, backwards, down, diagonal, where, wherever, all in that cube. And they can change directions rather suddenly as well to avoid a predator, to avoid being hit by a, a fly swatter or a net. Um, some dragonflies are even able to migrate across the sea. They're that strong of a flyer. Wow. Which is amazing very cool there are birds that struggle with that <laughs> which is just astounding the only other thing i really wanted to talk about was how their mouth works when they are eating food uh what they will do is they um we talked about how their name it means toothed well so what happens is they their mouth is how do I describe it? Kind, kind of kind of scary looking a little bit if you look at it. Uh so they have a so they have this mouth part that will shoot out to grab the prey. And then they have these side mandibles that will come and like help consume it and like break it apart so that way like it comes feed it in kind of like feed it in uh wow which is horrifying <laughs> uh indeed and that's why they are in the order odonata is because of that toothed mouth uh i mean if i was an ancient greek person looking at a dragonfly that would be horrifying to me <laughs> 
Awesome. But that's what I have for you both today, dragonflies. So Thanks, one of my favorite animals. Awesome. See you all next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange. I was crying. <laughs> Outstanding. It's just, it's... Yep. Okay, are we ready? Pull yourself together? Mm-hmm. Okay.